loyalty and commitment. Those are two qualities that used to be so valued and they should be valued today. And yet, isn't it true that we seem to see less and less of it? Where are the times when people said they were going to do something, said they were going to be there, and years later, you would still find them doing it? You would know that with all the craziness in the world, you could count on them. Today, more and more people just jump ship. They just go to different situations when it seems to be advantageous to them. They do it in their jobs, they do it in their careers, they do it in their churches, they do it in their relationships. But today, we're going to discuss those good, old-fashioned biblical qualities that we should have. And this is episode 25 of the Audacious Faith Podcast. Well, welcome to episode 25. I can't believe we're already at the 25th episode. It's been great so far, and hopefully you've been catching many of the other ones up to this point. If you're on YouTube especially, be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you have not already, and be sure to share it with your friends as well. Well, as I mentioned in the introduction, we're going to be discussing loyalty and commitment today, and I have a very special guest, someone I respect very much. I've known him for over 30 years. Um, he is the pastor of Crest Avenue Baptist Church in Riverside, California. He's a very committed man. He's a family man. He's a man of faith. And that is Pastor Robin Montgomery. So, Pastor Rob, thank you so much for joining us for our 25th episode today. Thank you for asking me. I appreciate it. And we're going to go ahead and get right into it because I know that some of the people watching may know you, but a lot of people don't. So, Why don't you give us a little bit of background about yourself, your family, and also how the Lord led you to faith? Okay, I was born in California, Southgate, in fact. Lived here the first five years of my life, and then my parents decided that they wanted to live in Michigan. So we moved back there until I was in my last half a year of high school. They moved back out here. I had to finish high school out here, graduate. And uh, I came to faith several times, you might say, because I was one of those childhood uh, decision makers. My mom led me to the Lord when I was about six years old, and then again, as I went to camp every year, I'd make a recommitment to the Lord, and it wasn't until I was about 17, and we were out here, and I was away from my normal friends that I had in Michigan, that I decided that I was going to come to an end of all of this church stuff. And so I made up my mind that I was going to quit, but the Spirit wouldn't let me do that. Kept prompting me, well, you know, you really haven't read through the Bible completely, so just read it through one more time, and then if you don't see anything important, you can throw it away then. So I submitted to that, and I used to sneak my Bible into the bathroom, sit on the edge of the tub, and read a couple of chapters of my Bible every day. Of course, I started like everybody does in in Genesis when I got to the B gaps, I said, oh, so I'll start in Matthew. So switched to Matthew. And when I got to the B gaps there, I decided, well, I'll just muddle on through, skipped over those. And I had one of those pens, if you or pencils, you remember that had red on one end and blue on the other. Mm-hmm. I would uh, take the, the blue end. And if something was important to me, or if it was something I remembered from my youth, I would underline it in blue. If it was something that I thought was life-changing, I would underline it in red. Well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, all in blue. Then I got into John, and I started seeing a few more verses there, so I started underlining some of the verses in red, but when I got to Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3, it was almost red all the way through because the Holy Spirit really got hold of my heart, and I recognized that I really wasn't trusting in God completely, even though I'd made these decisions. I think the decisions that I made were real. It was just that I was losing the faith that I once had. So I recommitted to the Lord at that time, and uh, life began to change for me. I actually became a camp counselor for three months up at Big Bear, and that's when I committed myself to becoming a pastor. Amen. Amen. You know, it's, it's kind of crazy that you mentioned Romans, because when I first got my Bible for the first time at 17 years of age as well, um, 
nobody told me starting the gospel of John, which is typically what they tell you, right? And so I opened up and I didn't know where to start. And I thought, Romans, that sounds kind of neat. And that's where I started. And right in Romans 1, I'm like, wow, this is modern. This sounds like today. And uh, that's exactly what grabbed hold of me as well. So that's that's pretty incredible that you would highlight Romans there. Yeah, when I so, got, to, got to the verse that said, God turns us over to a reprobate mind, I didn't know what that meant, but I sure didn't want that. So Right, <laughs> right. And, and when I looked at that, I thought, I know a lot of people like that. And I know I can be that way. I, I definitely could tell. Uh, so how many years now, you, you've been the pastor at Crest Avenue, and it's been a long time. How many years has it been? 43 years this summer. 43 years. That's that's awesome. So that, is that that's the only church you've pastored? Only church I've pastored. So why do you think, I mean, in the midst of times right now where you see pastors on average, it's sometimes five years or less, um, what's held you there? I mean, you seem to be going stronger than ever. So what's been the difference for you? Well, I think it mostly is because I have strong ties to the people and to the community, number one, but probably more so because I was encouraged by some of the older pastors that I knew years ago that would, that told me that switching from church to church happened as a result of two things. First of all, the pastor ran out of things to say, and I didn't think I could do that. And then secondly, because some of them leave when there are when they are at a peak in their church mm. and uh, we had never reached the peak. So I said, well, that's not us either. So then they said that a lot of pastors leave when they run into a lot of problems. And I said, well, that's what I'm there for is to help people solve problems. If I have problems, then I ought to stay long enough to at least solve the problems. And then if I feel like quitting after that, I can do that. Well, I saw God work in my life and in the lives of the people that were involved there. And Using the weapons of the word and the, the weapons of our warfare, I found out that all of these problems can be solved. So why should I move on? Now, there have been people that have come and gone and could not resolve their issues mm -hmm. or would not resolve their issues. And so I decided, well, I would just stick around until the people asked me to leave. And that hasn't happened in 43 years. That's pretty awesome. And, and have you ever thought to yourself, you know what, maybe there's problems here, but if I were to go where it looks like the grass is greener, I just got to start with a whole new set of problems? Absolutely. In fact, I saw a man this last, or I talked to a man this last summer that told me he had just left his church after five years of being a pastor there because he had issues with the deacon there. Mm -hmm. And now he is at odds with his wife and family because they don't want to run back into a situation like that again. So they're, they're encouraging him just to quit the ministry altogether. And I said, that's so sad. You know, he spent eight years mm -hmm. in college and seminary preparing for the job that God had called him to do. And he's already quitting after just five years. Yeah. So it's discouraging to see that happen. Definitely. So over the course of this time, I mean, you're talking 40-something, you said 43 years, is that correct? Right. Obviously, churches are not exactly the same as they were back then. Okay. Commitment level, the way people are. I mean, churches used to be full of what you would call those long, die-hard members that you just knew they were there until God took them to heaven. Um, there's fewer and fewer of those today. Also, as far as... I, I mean, I can't speak for you, but I know, I mean, people would go to the choir practice one night, they'd be another ministry another night, they'd be somewhere else another night. I mean, sometimes they're at church four something days a week. It's getting harder and harder to see that type of commitment as well. What are some of the main changes maybe that stick out to you that you've noticed over the time? It is difficult to get people to commit to things. Yeah. We've started having choir after church, choir practice after church on Sunday mornings simply because people don't want to come back on Sunday evening to, to practice or come at a separate day of the week to practice. Mm -hmm. And obviously the choir is not gaining as much by doing that as they would if they've committed a whole night to it. Sure. But most of the time, you, it's like you say, it's people that have lack of commitment and what they say they will do. They don't want to uh, commit to having a regular Bible study every week. And so you, you prepare material and you hope that the 
all the people will be there and yet they don't show up and you ask them where they were oh i got called out to dinner or i had to go here or i had to go there uh, i remember as a young man you know when we made a commitment to doing something we were there we the pastor expected us to be there when we were when we said that we would be there right now some of these same ones i mean obviously you're not going to name names but if they if they were given say three hundred dollars every time that they showed up at church do you think they would miss as much i've threatened that a couple of times not 300 but i said on your way out this morning i'd like to give you a hundred dollars so that it'll commit you to come back next week i said yeah. i don't have a hundred dollars but i'm hoping that you'll still come back you know i've done that a couple of times right because it's you know people make time for what they value right okay. and and that right. definitely seems to be the issue so um you know, one of the things I've noticed with you through the years, I mean, we've served on some boards together, multiple boards together. Um, we've been in, you know, easy times and also some tense situations on those boards. Uh, one thing that I've always respected is that you're someone who definitely stands up for convictions that you have. Um, you're not the type to just kind of sit back. I mean, you do it in a, in a proper way. But at the same time, you're not one to just get rolled over either. And so why, why do you feel that standing up for the conviction strongly like that is important to you? Well, you know, you're right. I, I do stand up for things. Sometimes I wish I hadn't stood up so hard. I uh, speak out sometimes and I kind of regret maybe I should have softened my blow a little bit on certain situations and maybe come around it from a different direction. I have tried to learn to do that over the years, but it doesn't always come out that way. Mm -hmm. Some people see me as being too opinionated and too strong and having convictions that they don't see. But I, I try to make my convictions based upon what I believe the word of God teaches. I'm a biblicist. Mm -hmm. that if there could be anything said about me, it would be that. And I try to go to the Bible to find out what principles are. Uh, as I told you before, one of my strong convictions is that as a pastor, I don't believe churches should borrow money. And so I've stood strong on that. And we've seen the Lord provide for all of our needs, not only for our family, but for our church over all these years. And so that we not only have what we need to operate, but we have an abundance of what we need. God always provides for his work. Nice. Okay. So, and then in, in that conviction, there's also commitment. Uh, you've been married, so, so you've been in the church for 43 years. How long have you been married? 53 years. 53 years, okay. So that's, uh, and, and you're only 59, so that's pretty incredible, right? Don't I wish. So 57. 50, <laughs> so 53 years. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, how do you, I mean, obviously there's been, challenges as well as joys in the 53 years most people today 50 percent of marriages at least don't even make it okay so what are some of your secrets what are some of the ways that you guys have gotten through maybe some of the more challenging times um, and ways that you've enhanced the good times well i uh jokingly tell my wife and i say this tongue-in-cheek but I wake up every morning and I say, I love you and I'm sorry. That's one way to get by it. Okay. But no, we we have a, a very open relationship, be able to talk to one another. There are times when I'll say, oh, I love you, but I don't like you right now. And she will say the same thing to me. And so we, we talk it out. We find out what it is that's bothering us. We try not to argue about things that are just petty. Early marriage, we we argued over things that were petty things, things that weren't important. Now we, we uh, only have agreed to argue over things that are major, and very few of those are major. But we've had a lot of ups and downs. We've had a lot of disappointments in life. And yet, as we look back at those disappointments, we count them as blessings because each one of those has been an opportunity for us to both grow as individuals and as a couple. Now, that's a great point you're bringing up right there, because one of the things that I bring up almost every podcast that I've noticed throughout all of these now is that God takes all the different experiences of life and he doesn't seem to waste any of it. 
He seems to use all of it for not only the moment, but also building towards the next thing that he's got us for. So you've seen that in marriage. You've probably seen that in ministry. I mean, have you noticed that a lot? Oh, yes, absolutely. Right. So he just doesn't, he always seems to know what he's doing, even though often it doesn't make sense to us, right? Right. So, okay, so those challenges. So you're talking about choosing battles because a lot of, um, I, I mean, I'm sure you've done probably more of this than I have over the years, marriage counseling, relationship counseling, and where people are coming to you. And, and have you noticed that, I mean, what you're just sharing there about choosing battles, not making a big deal about things that aren't that important. Have you noticed that a lot of people are not good at doing that and they just keep bringing up the same stuff over and over again? Yeah, probably most of my marriage counseling that I do with people is to be more of a referee to remind them that the issues they're trying to solve are not solvable by just bringing them up over and over and not doing anything about them. They have to purpose in their hearts and in their minds to, to deal with the issue, to accept their responsibility, even if they think that their responsibility is only like 10%, and the other person is mostly to blame, I say, well, you know, just take a look, a look at it from your perspective. If, if you had a steak and it had 10% strychnine on it, would you eat the steak? No, of course not. It's poison, and it would kill you. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, just consider for a moment here that your partner, whether it's your husband or your wife, they're looking at the situation, and all they can see is the little is, is what you've done. They don't see what they've done. So how can you reasonably get to the point where you can deal with that issue without, first of all, acknowledging that you're at least partly at fault? Right, right. And you mentioned earlier when we first started talking about this part of the subject, you said you wake up in the morning and you say, I love you and I'm sorry. Um, I'm sure there's been times where you still thought you were right, but you were still sorry. I mean, would that be accurate? Absolutely. You have to give and take a little bit. And sometimes I had one fellow in my church years ago used to say you have to decide what hill you want to die on. But he would run off the hill. And so he never tried to solve any of the problems that he was dealing with. But there are issues that you have to deal with. You have to talk them out. And the best way to do that is sit down in a calm and quiet manner, explain what the issue is as best you can, ask the other person to explain it from their viewpoint, and then see if there can be some agreement. Okay. Oftentimes, some of the arguments that we've had have been over the way it was initiated. You always, you never, and those are statements that start fires. But if you start the, the issue with a question, do you think that when you said such and such and so and so, that it would irritate me or make me get upset or cause me to be prideful or whatever? And that way, when you put it in the form of a question, people are easier to take that. You might say swallow it and, under, and swallow their own pride in deal, doing with that. Dealing and, I, and I think what you're saying there is, is key because when you ask a question, that instead of just having it all settled in your mind already, you're actually showing that um, what they think has some value to you. Absolutely. Right? So, and that you're open to some compromise there as well. Right, right. So many just have not learned that. I don't know if it's from upbringing and how they were brought up as well. And, and I know that often carries in, but... Um, some great advice. So if you're out there and you're working on marriage or you're thinking about marriage, I hope you're paying very close attention uh, to what's being said right now because it's some really good stuff. All right. So next question that I have for you, I, I don't mean to make you sound old because you're not, but you've been at this for a while. All right. Um, and most people that have been at it for over four decades would be considered by most to be old school, all right? However, one thing I've noticed about you over the time is that you've continued to innovate. You, you're an innovative person. You try to keep up, not with worldly trends, but if something makes sense to better reach people, 
Um, you seem to be open to doing that. And now I know that, that uh, I'm going to have you share a little bit about this. Um, in the age of the internet and streaming and everything, you're actually reaching way more people than you ever have. Absolutely. And so, so why don't you go ahead and kind of fill us in a little bit about what you've noticed on the changes with that? Well, I think the key to not getting old in your ministry and in your life, too, is to read. Read, read, read. A lot of people, as they get older, they get to the television set and they sit down and they fry their minds with that. But I, I think it's important to read. I subscribe to at least six different magazines, Christian magazines, usually. Mm -hmm. I've got a couple of non-Christian magazines that I like. Popular Science, of course, will never leave me. But uh, I like to read. And by reading, I'm filling my mind with new ideas and new thoughts. And so it helps. You get you get a younger mind that's written a book, and you read the book, and it gives you some kind of impetus to do whatever you want to do. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. <coughs> <coughs> Surround yourself with young people, too, because they always have good ideas. And don't have the attitude of, we ain't never done that before. Because a lot of older people will do that same thing. Well, we tried that once. It didn't work. No, it didn't work at that time. But I had a pastor several years ago that used to say, everything works some of the time. So try everything. And if somebody comes up with an idea, go ahead and try it. If it's not going to cost you too much or time or energy, and give it a try. See if it works. My son-in-law came to me with the idea that back in his home country of the Philippines, that he would like to contact some of the pastors there about putting my messages on their radio station. So he contacted one pastor and the pastor said, yeah, he was agreeable to that. Mm -hmm. And so he told someone who told someone who told someone who told somebody else. And the other day I had a conference call with the Philippines with 16 pastors that are available with radio stations. And they ringed the island where my son-in-law grew up with radio stations hmm. and some of and so we're we're actually able to hit a market of about two million people now some of them listen to other stations of course sure but there are many of them that will tune into the local station and they many of these uh, pastors put my messages on there usually every sunday morning regularly but there are others that like to fill the space with something else so they'll run a series of my messages all week long yeah and, they speak English in the Philippines, and so the people understand. Plus, many of the people listen because I'm speaking English so that they can learn more English. Mm -hmm. I try to keep my messages within the range of a, a high schooler at the, lead, at the most so that they can understand the words that I use. But uh, that's been one of the things we've done. And another thing that I do is I, uh, one of the ladies in our church has a son that's in, the, in prison. And so she asked if I would write to him. So I wrote to him and I said, I don't have time to write letters every week. I, I really can't get involved in a pen pal situation, but I would be glad to send you my messages. Mm -hmm. So I started, I always printed out, at least for the last 20 years, I printed out my messages word for word. Mm -hmm. And I do some editing on them afterwards, but I started sending him my Gospel of John messages. And he responded very positively, very good. In fact, he started recommending me to some of the other inmates that are in the prison he's at. They've transferred to other prisons who have recommended me to other inmates. And so right now I'm corresponding with at least eight inmates in various prisons around Southern California and Northern California, actually. I've got one in Folsom Prison. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we also wondered about people that are shut in. We have people that have gotten so sick or so old that they can't attend church any longer one lady cannot hear very well and so even trying to talk to her on the phone is very tedious so i send her the messages along with a bulletin every week mm -hmm. and she's written me that she loves to do that she has many pen pals all over the country oftentimes she says i copy your messages and i stick them in with my letters that i send to other people so i know that the message is going out all across the country which brings me to the point that I've been doing lately, and that is I wrote down my personal message, my personal testimony, and I have been writing it in letters, and I 
go down the street and I write down the house number. And if I can figure out what the person's name is that lives there, I send it to them. What's it hurt? Cost me a 50, 58 cent stamp, I think it is now. Mm -hmm. And I'm hitting these homes. And it's just as effective, I would think, as knocking on the door, getting the person to come to the door and engaging them in a conversation. They don't have to listen to my message, but if the Holy Spirit is drawing them, then they will read it. So I think it's important to do things like that. And I would recommend that to anybody. So, so you're talking about you're reaching people in the Philippines, you're reaching people in various prisons, you're reaching people in, in convalescent type situations, you're reaching people in the neighborhoods. What if you had just said, ah, nobody's going to listen or be interested in this and not even try, right? Right. Which is what often so many people do. And and you probably, I mean, the reach is going further than you more than likely even realize. And and I would think that that gives you even more of an enthusiasm, not that you didn't have it before, but more of an enthusiasm to just keep digging and keep seeing everything that God wants you to share with people. Yes. Years ago when I was a salesman, I used to rely upon a call manager to give me leads and I would call up the person and they would deny that they'd even talked with anybody else. And, and so it was hard to develop those into major leads. So I told the fellow, just give me the list and I'll send them a letter. And I put a dollar inside of every letter. And then I would, I would uh, call a couple of days later to the people and I would say, I'm the guy that sent you the dollar in the mail. Did you get it? Oh yes, I got that. Did you read it? Yes. And I was surprised how many people read it. In fact, I found that out of every 10 letters that I sent out, that cost me $10, but out of every 10 letters, I was making sales two to three of those people as customers. Right. So you did something to stand out from everybody else. Absolutely. Right. Very, very cool. So now, you know, let's go along with that theme that you were just mentioning. So um, some people think of pastors, and, and you've been there for 43 years, but that's not all that God had you do. Uh, during that time, quite a bit of that time, you did some bivocational type of work uh, as well. And some people would see that as a disadvantage. I don't know that that's true, though. I think that there's a lot of advantages to that as far as learning to connect with people, expanding your reach. How, how did you find that that either helped you or hindered you over the course of time? I always thought that was normal for every pastor that started a church, that they would get a job and then they would start a church on the weekend. They would do their study in the evenings and then they would preach on Sundays and they'd go back to work on Monday morning and just do it that way. So that, that was the normal routine as far as I was concerned. And so when I became a pastor, the church offered to pay me $50 a week but you cannot raise a family on $50 a week. Sure. And even pay for the electric bill. So I just continued to work at the various jobs that I had until I was called it. Well, I was called into the pastorate from an electronics job that I had in 1979. So I did quit at that time, but that was mainly because I had started another business selling synthetic oil and it was providing the income that we really needed. So I didn't need to work at that point. And as the years went on, the church began to increase our, our salary. And then at the time when the synthetic oil business was dropping off, the church was picking up the difference. So we wound up being mostly full-time, but I was still driving truck in the evenings. I usually have had at any time in my life, two or three jobs that I was, would do at any one time okay. uh, to earn income. And then... Um, in about 2008, I think it was, the uh, truck company that I worked for was going out of business. So I just depended upon the church then for the full income that they give me. Mm -hmm. So would you say that, I, I'm sure that the, the experience, first of all, of working in other fields besides just behind the church walls possibly helped you to have a better sense of what people were doing in their everyday lives instead of being sheltered just on the walls of the church and seeing what people were doing on Sunday probably helped you to connect better. And then also you're mentioning leads and running a business and things like that. People don't realize that in ministry, I mean, you need some of those skills. So did all of that really kind of play in and help you? 
absolutely. I met a lot of people along the way in the various jobs that I had. And usually most of the jobs, especially the truck driving job, we usually had downtime of about an hour or so. Mm-hmm. And so we'd get engaged in conversations and I knew I was a pastor. And so many of the people would ask me Bible questions or I would have an opportunity to sit over a cup of coffee and explain the gospel to somebody. I mean, it was good, very good. And it was very beneficial, not only to me, one other thing that I was doing too, and, and I like doing projects. I'm a, I am a jack of all trades. I, I have learned a lot of things over the years on how to use tools and different things from electrical work to carpentry to whatever. And so I, when I do these jobs, I always pray for somebody to be sent to me by God that needs counseling or needs help, needs encouragement. And so God has given me Uh, probably several dozen men over the last 43 years that have worked with me from doing anything from painting the church to to repairing things, replacing windows, whatever it may be that has to be done. Mm -hmm. And during those times, we talk. And during those talks, they grow in grace and they understand biblical questions. Sometimes we'll work for a couple of hours and then they'll say, well, I've got this question and then I'll answer the question for them. So it's been very beneficial, not only to me, to be able to phrase these things and put them in a terminology that they're able to understand, but also for them to be able to ask the questions that they've always wanted to ask, but they can't reach the pastor because he's up at the pulpit or he's just there to shake their hand as they go out the door. Right. So so no matter where you were, you know, some people think, well, I'm going to be pastor when I'm here at church, and then I'm just going to be Robin Montgomery when I'm over here. Okay. But it doesn't really work that way does it? I mean, you end up still being that representative for God, no matter where he puts you. I call, even when I had full-time jobs working more than 40 hours a week, I considered those to be my advocation. My real vocation was ministry. Mm -hmm. So the Lord called me into the ministry and that's what I needed to be doing. That was where I spent my energy was on that. Right. So even looking though at everything, I mean, all the other things that you were doing, Some people could look at it as, well, this is how I make money. But I mean, I'm sure you probably viewed it as an extension of ministry as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Which gives it more. I always viewed it as ministry, but it was a way for the Lord to provide for our income while I was doing ministry. That was the thing that was being done there. And there's been a number of different ways that God has provided for us over the years. I can say I've never lacked for anything. In fact, I've reached a time in my life when most people are thinking about retirement, wondering whether they can live on what they're going to get. But God has blessed us in some very unusual ways to the point mm-hmm. where I can afford to hire these guys on my own mm-hmm. and pay their salary and, and still be a benefit to them. That's awesome. So, so let's talk about that now. We're going to transition right into the next question. Because, you know, for, for many, they would take a look and say, hey, 43 years in ministry, um, you know, nobody could fault you if you said, hey, I mean, it's time to wind down. I don't see that in you, though. Um, you're reaching more people than ever at this point. So what sense do you have of what God says is either continuing to be important or maybe even bigger that's next? Yeah, I've thought about retiring several times. And as I get older, I expect at some point that God will bring another person into my life that will be able to take that responsibility, or at least part of that responsibility. The church is at a place where they can afford to bring in special speakers from time to time. If I need a rest, I can do that. Mm-hmm. But the, uh, I don't really expect to retire. I, I've told many times, I'll retire when they take my saddle off and put me into a box and bury me in the ground. That's the way I want to go, actually. We had one of our pastors years ago that preached his Christmas message and on the subject of heaven. As he closed his message, he said, and I think I'll see heaven before the rest of you folks. And he walked over, sat down on the steps of the stage, collapsed. He didn't die exactly at that spot, but they took him away to the hospital and he died of a heart attack there. And I think, yeah, that's the way to go. <laughs> there you go. I mean, serving all the way. I mean, if that's our purpose in life, then, I mean, what else? Retire to do what, right? I mean, to not fulfill the purpose. I, I would think that, um, I mean, I've noticed this in my life. I, I'm wondering if this is true for you. Even though maybe there's passages you've preached 
several times through the years um, in passages you've read and you've studied with the different experiences and the different things that we see even happening in the world today. Don't you find that God is still showing you stuff in those passages that you've never noticed before? Oh, absolutely. In fact, it gives me a chance to put this commercial in there. You need to read the Bible. Man, I'll tell you. Uh, for the last, well, about 10 years ago, I suddenly woke up one morning and I said, you know, I only read the Bible anymore because I'm trying to get a message for the people that I've got to preach to. And so mm -hmm. I'll read in certain sections that appeal to me. And I said, you know, I'm no longer reading the Bible from cover to cover. And I try to encourage people to do that. So why don't I do it? Right. So I set a goal of reading the Bible six times a year, cover to cover. And, of course, there are sections of the Bible that are hard to get through, but I just muddle through them and get through them. I like to, now, I like to listen to it being read to me. I love Max McLean on uh, Bible Gateways. I listen to him while I read, and that way I'm getting a double barrel shot of it. Yeah. But I have learned so many new things by listening to it over and over and over again. I like I say, I try to do it six times a year. Sometimes I make it, sometimes I don't. This year, it looks like I'm going to make it. And in fact, I've decided to go through at least the New Testament one more time if I can make it through the month of December. Right. The, and and so that that's really so important to be able to read the Bible. You're mentioning a point right there that stirred a memory to me when I was in Bible college. I had only been known the Lord for maybe about a year and a half when I went to Bible college and I was doing a youth group at the time in the church and I was convicted about exactly what you're saying that every time I was looking at the Bible I was thinking at it not as what did it come at me for but how was I going to share this with someone else how was I going to teach it how was I going to explain it and then I realized finally that I was never actually being open to what God was telling me through it. And, and and isn't it true that probably some of your best messages through the years have been when God literally that's something you're dealing with in your life that week, which makes it so much more real to share it with others? Absolutely. I've tried to do that all of my ministry. It hasn't always been accomplished. Sometimes I try to take one out of the can and re-preach it, but I try to be fresh. I, I spend a lot of time preparing a message and getting it ready. That, guy, that worries me because I've got all these messages after 43 years. I haven't kept them all, but I've had all these messages. I wonder, what can I do with them? I should pass them on to somebody else. Yeah. I mean, I, they want my books, but do they want my messages? So I think it's important to do that. So the way that I'm getting rid of my messages, if you might say, is I'm, I'm putting them out on the radio. I'm putting them out in, the, in um, letters that I write to the inmates and different things like that. So they're, they they continue to preach. I don't know if they'll be copied or somebody passes it on to the next person or however it goes, but that that will be done. I, I can't see putting them in books and trying to print them because not all the material is unique to me. Some of it is what I've been taught over the years. I love the ministry of other pastors. And so I listen to them. I write down important things that they've said and not always have I given them credit for what they've said, but I believe the Holy Spirit brings those things in our mind. There have been a few times when I've got up in the pulpit with one message, hasn't happened recently, but come up with one message and the Lord changes it that, that morning and all of a sudden I'm off onto a completely different subject. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. It has. There's been times that you, you go to get up and you see some people and, and I don't like to just change it right because of a certain person, but every once in a while, God will say, that one's not it. That one's next week. Change to this. And But you know what? Isn't it true that sometimes those are the best? That's funny you should say that because there have been times I've been at home preparing a message thinking that so-and-so is going to be there at church. Mm -hmm. And I'll really hit them hard with this information. And so yeah. I prepare the whole message and they don't show up. Of course. And so... So I go ahead and preach the message anyway, and then I'll have two or three other people come up to me after the service and say, Pastor, that message really hit my heart today. And I'm right. thinking, yeah, you know, that other person probably would have been listening. They would have been distracted or they would have been a distraction because that happens too. You know, people can come to church just to be a distraction. And I think the devil stirs them up for that purpose. 
It happens. And I'm sure you probably had this too. I had this actually a couple of weeks ago where I had come down with COVID. I was feeling sick on Sunday. I didn't even realize I had COVID. I was away from everybody, but um, I just didn't feel good that morning. And so I, I usually do not sit down when doing a message, but I sat down, you know, I do this message, couldn't even really tell you what I said, quite <laughs> honestly, as I went through it. And my wife was home that particular week because she wasn't feeling well. She had watched it online and she goes, I get a text afterwards. That's got to be one of the best messages God's had you deliver in a long time. I'm thinking, seriously, <laughs> you know, because I mean, that's the way that, that God works. Sometimes um, we think we've got it all together. Right. But, but he works in different ways than, than we have figured out. I have a pastor that I used to listen to years ago. He's since gone on to be with the Lord, but I have recordings on video of his messages. And uh, there are three messages that he's given that are just, they just really reach my heart. And so I love those messages. So I have those set aside. I told my deacons that if any time I can't show up on a Sunday morning, grab one of his and play that. That'll take my place and that'll at least we'll, we'll do that. But yeah. Yeah. It's amazing stuff how God works. A couple more questions. Um, one of the things that I know is very important to you, and it should be, because this is biblical, and that's to stay true to the Word of God. Often, let's face it, uh, styles have changed. Not only music styles have changed, but message styles have changed dramatically in the church overall today and yet god's word is what it is and it does not change um so why why is this so important to you and are you alarmed at all at a trend that seems to have strayed from that diligence i am alarmed at the modern trend of trying to meet the needs of people in the queue by telling them that they can have their best life now i do not think that giving them the solution on a Sunday morning on how to get along with their neighbor or how to deal with their boss at work should come from outside of the text. I think that as you're going through, I use a expository method, and as you're going through the text, if it suggests or talks about dealing with your, your family or dealing with your boss, as it does like in Ephesians where Paul addresses those subjects, I think you ought to hit it hard there, let it go on from there. But exposing people to the word of God, making it so that they can understand it, I think is the most important thing. As I said earlier, I'm a, I consider myself a biblicist. I may be uh, Calvinistic in some of my approaches, but I'm not entirely Calvinistic, but I, I do believe in election. I do believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe that God has chosen those for salvation. I do not believe that he chose to create people for hell, but I do believe that that he has chosen some to save, and that that's why Jesus Christ came into the world to save us. So I want that message to be forefront. I want that to be constantly out there, although I don't preach a salvation message every Sunday. Mm -hmm. I just go through, I used to, I usually go through a um, book of the Bible, and I preach through the book, and whatever the topic comes up for that Sunday, that that's what I preach about. But it's always interesting to me, too, to see that the topics that come up are isolated there by the Holy Spirit in such a way that you can preach a section of Scripture and stay on the same subject. Mm -hmm. It's not like the Holy Spirit jumps around from one thought to the next. It usually gives it to you in a very precise manner. So you're, right. you're if you can read it and if you study it, you'll see that, and you're able to prepare a message that will reach the people's hearts. I'm currently going through a message we as pastors talked about a couple of weeks ago, and that's the armor of God. Mm -hmm. I call it the armor of Jesus Christ, but I also refer to it as the armor of the Holy Spirit, because I believe that all three are involved in making sure that that armor is impervious to Satan's attacks and the world's attacks and the flesh attacks as we go through this world. So I've been preaching that series lately. Amen. Now, as you've had the opportunity, as the Lord has given you, to share the message through the years and have some people come to faith uh, through witnessing, um, have you noticed that no fancy, flashy presentation has ever really made the difference 
It's just if God's going to do it, he's going to do it. And it is all, the power is all in his word, right? Right. I have a recording that plays in my mind, has been ever since I became a pastor, and that's called Preach the Word. Mm -hmm. It's going over and over in my mind. Now, I looked at Jesus' methods, and he used a lot of illustrations. He used uh, object lessons. He talked about the, the field, the seed, uh, the harvester, and so forth. And so I like to use those. I like to use object lessons. Years ago, the pastor, the former pastor of the church where you're at, used object lessons. Mm -hmm. And so I took that hint from him, and uh, I haven't been able to use them during this particular pandemic season, but I'm anxious to get back to them again, use them again, because that catches people's attention. I do it from the perspective of the children so that the children can get the message, but then I have adults coming up after me saying, oh, I really understood that point because you had the object lesson. Yeah, you know. They come, Jesus said, come to me like a child, right? Right. So, and, and you're showing your experience in ministry that you could reference the pastor that was here before me, considering I've been here 30 years myself and remember that. <laughs> so most, most people would have no idea, but I do remember him doing that as well. Um, last question, and we'll wrap it up. It's been a good time, and I'm sure this is going to be a blessing to a lot of people. I'm going to let you kind of do this as an open message right now. Uh, we have no idea who's going to be listening to this podcast and when. We're going to put it out there on the internet, just like a lot of the stuff you put out there, and it's going to be listened to by different people at various times. Um, what do you feel the Spirit of God is leading you to tell them right now about the importance of not only how faith has been a part of your life, but why they should seek God if uh, that seems to be missing in their life today? You know, I've looked at this from a lot of different perspectives. I think it was my brother that said to me one time, he says, you know, when most of the people in the world, and even some of the people that come to church, this is their best life now. This is the closest that they will ever get to heaven. Mm. But for us as Christians, this is the closest that we will ever get to hell. We have heaven's doors open and waiting for us. So when we leave this life, we know that we depart from this world, as Paul said, absent from the body and present with the Lord. He often said that he would rather be absent. He would rather be with the Lord, but he was here temporarily for the sake of the people that he, God had given to him to minister to. So I love that. I love that ministry. I love to be able to tell people about Christ. I love to tell them that they're not good people. After all, they're, they're really very corrupt in heart. And if people could see them from the inside out, they would be repelled by the thoughts and intents of their hearts. And so if they feel that draw, if they feel that pull to get into the Word of God, to read it, to study it, to maybe even go to church, they, they should respond to that by simply doing what the Spirit is telling them to do. And then once they do, they will see a whole new world open up to them. They'll be able to see the truth. And Jesus said he came into the world to give us the truth. Pilate, of course, asked the question, what is truth? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important that we focus our attention on knowing what the truth is. The cults do not have the truth. They purport to have the truth, but what they have done is they, they put a harness on everybody that comes and says, you have to do this, 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 and this in order to get into our heaven. Otherwise, and then they give some alternatives. They say, well, you won't go to hell. Some of the cults say, well, you'll be given a second chance after you die. And I said, well, if that's true, then I'll give me, if I'm wrong right now, I'll be given a second chance. I think it was Pascal who said that if we, or at least I'll paraphrase him to the extent he says, if I believe what I'm believing right now and I die and there is no heaven and there is no hell, what have I lost? I haven't lost anything. But if I believe what I believe right now, what do I have? I've lived a good life. I've had good relationships. I've never cheated anyone. I've never stolen. I've, I've been faithful to my wife and to my family and everything else. And if I die and there is a heaven, then what do I have? I have a reward. So the reward is what God wants to give us. People say, well, I don't need a reward. Well, yes, you do. God wants to give you a reward. And he holds out his hands to you and says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, if the only reward we get is rest, that's great. But Christ says he has many rewards for us. 
And I can't think of anything better than to work for the rewards that Christ has for us in eternity. And how do we get these rewards? How do we come to a relationship with Christ? It is so simple. Paul said it a number of times in, a, in 1 Corinthians. He tells them there, this is the gospel. You believe that Jesus Christ was alive in this world, that he was God representing God here upon the earth. He was man representing man here upon the earth. And as a man, he went to the cross and died in our place. And as God, he rose from the dead. And he lives forever. And he promises to come back to this earth one day and take us to eternity with him. What must we do? We must fall on our knees. We must cry out to God. It's not praying a prayer. It's not walking an aisle. It's not going to a church. It's not reading the Bible. It's none of the good things that we try to do in order to garner God's salvation. But it is simply by placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Repenting of our sin, saying, I'm not going to do that again. And by the grace of and power of the Holy Spirit, we can overcome any sin that's in our life. I have seen people's lives change drastically overnight. I've seen people that have lived for 20 years on the street, alcoholics, drug addicts that have been converted, turned to Jesus Christ, and are now are preaching and teaching and missionaries and going out throughout all the world. And I've seen people that have been what we call up and outers, people that have been satisfied with their life they've had everything in life that was offered to them and they have fallen on their knees they've cried out to god and god has forgiven them as well and they have peace within their hearts so if you really want peace in your heart you will do that today you'll cry out to god you will trust in him for your salvation you will repent of your sin and you will walk the new law walk and as paul says he gives you a new nature you are new creatures in christ jesus so that's what i would say I think that's great. And I think your advice, if you're out there and you're listening to this, you might want to just play back what was just said right there so that you can listen to it again if you didn't quite get it completely. And one thing that I want to encourage all of our listeners as well is if God, as Pastor Robin mentioned, if God does seem to be tugging on your heart at this point, uh, don't wait for later. Respond. Because it's very important to respond when God calls. So um, thank you so much. It's been a great time uh, just sharing with you, spending a little visit. I know it's going to be a blessing. I want to encourage our listeners uh, and viewers, if you're out in towards the Riverside, California area, be sure to stop in there, uh, Crest Avenue Baptist Church, uh, and uh, you'll definitely be blessed. Definitely be blessed. You can also, I'm sure they can find you online as well, some of your messages and different things that are out there, correct? Crestavbaptist.org. There you go. So look that up and you can contact if you want to uh, even ask Pastor Robin a question or anything. I'm sure he'd be very happy to hear from you and to respond uh, promptly, as I know that he always does. So thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to share this podcast with others if it's been a blessing to you today. This has been the Audacious Faith Podcast. God bless you.